If you're here as a guest, welcome. My name's Mark. I serve as one of the elders here. And um, you've come in. If this is your first Sunday, you've come in. And the last message in a series that's called Follow Me, Jesus' Call to Authentic Discipleship. We've been talking about what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus. And the reason we're talking about this is because we want to be a church of passionate disciples. We want to be people who are excited about knowing and loving and obeying Jesus. We hope that every person here will be able to say, I am a disciple. I am a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And we hope that every person here can say, I'm in a growing relationship with this great person we know as, as Jesus. And we also hope that every person here will embrace Jesus' call to not only follow him, but to help others come to follow him and help others grow as they follow him. And that's that's where we that's sort of the topic that we come to in the last of these messages. So this message is called Disciples Make Disciples. Now, our speaker, as Kenneth mentioned a moment ago, is Maddie B. If uh, you don't know who Maddie B is, his, his genuine full name is Matt Bradner. And uh, he and his wife, Julia, did a marriage conference called Nourish and Cherish uh, with us a year ago. How many were at the conference? Yeah, great. A lot of you. Okay. So you remember uh, Maddie B. And you may remember some of uh, Matt and Julia's story. But um, Matt has worked with college students through a ministry called Campus Outreach for about 20 years. So he's had lots of experience on, on uh, college campuses and with campus ministry. And he and his wife... Julia, they live in Lynchburg, Virginia. They have five children aged 15 to 5. And uh, you may not know, but last summer, uh, Matt and another campus outreach leader named uh, Paul Billings were kind enough to come and spend a whole day here touring George Mason University, talking with our campus leadership team about the ministry opportunities there. And they really served us and helped us clarify and focus our vision for how we can Go and make disciples on on that campus and be involved there. After that day was over, we were talking about this series. And uh, Vince uh, said, Vince Hinders is one of the pastors here. Vince said, Matt loves engaging people who aren't Christians. Matt loves helping people who aren't Christians understand the claims of Christ. And Matt loves helping Christians grow as they follow Jesus. Why don't we ask Matt if he could come and do this last message? And we did. And he said, yes. So he's here. So, Matt, come preach. Good morning. How you doing? It's good to be with you again, as always. So my wife, Julia, and our kids in Lynchburg, Virginia, they give their greetings. I uh, got a little family picture. The, uh, the little guy is actually not a part of the Bradner clan. He was in our foster care for the last six months. And uh, as Mark said, my kids range from age five. So we got, uh, I'm sorry, 15, 13, 12, nine, and actually four-year-old is our youngest. He's almost five. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but it seems like if you were to summarize my parenting, especially when it comes to my four-year-old right now, you could use this phrase, some, not all. Dad, can I have some candy? Some, not all. Can we play an arcade game? Some, not all. Can I watch a movie before bedtime? 
Some, not all. Can we spend some money? Some, not all, right? Okay, so you can relate. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that is familiar to many of you. It's known as the Great Commission. And my belief is that this passage is going to be extremely refreshing for us. And the first way it's going to be refreshing, at least for me, is that for the next 40 minutes, we get to take a break from some, not all. Because if you were to summarize the Great Commission, you get something a little different. It goes like this. Not some, but all. And I'm excited to bring it to you. I'm excited for you to see it. But the first thing, I'm going to say a very specific prayer, and then we'll get in. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, would you do whatever you have to do to ignite our hearts to want to line up our life with this commission? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I look at the Great Commission passage, this is what comes to my mind. That's right. The slides are not mixed up in order. I think of an Oreo cookie. So we all know how an Oreo is structured. There's a cookie, and then there's the cream in the middle, and then there's another cookie. The Great Commission is structured in a similar way. First, you have why. Then you have what and how, and then you have another why. And unfortunately, I have found that most people consume the Great Commission like my son Benson, the four-year-old, consumes his Oreo cookies. He twists the cookies apart, he eats the cream, and then what does he do? He throws the cookies to the side. No joke, literally a pile of cookies will be sitting there. In a similar way, I find that most Christians are so quick to say, What do I need to do and how do I need to do it? And we neglect why. And the sad part is that we'll never make it. We'll never stay in the game. We'll never last if we don't have a clear understanding of why we do what we do. And it seems really clear that Jesus values why. Because he's not only going to equip our hands this morning, but he wants to encourage your heart. Why should you prioritize The personal involvement of the Great Commission. Jesus is going to hammer why you do what you do. So let's jump into it. Uh, I'm going to first, let's start with the bottom cookie, so to speak. The first why. Here's how it begins. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus begins by playing the authority card. And notice How much authority does he have? Not some, but all. I wonder, how do you feel when you hear Jesus appeal to his authority? How do you feel when he plays the authority card? In the Bradner household, when it's chaotic and when the kids are getting out of control, I will say, okay, that's it. Dad's talking. And everybody knows when I say that, dad's playing the authority card. Whatever he says next, we do. Is that how you hear Jesus when he says, all authority is mine? Do you hear him laying the authority card as if he says, I made the universe, including you. You will do what I say. If you feel that, it's correct. His authority is rightful. But if that's all you feel, it's not complete. It's correct that, yeah, his authority is rightful. We do what he says, but it's not complete. Well, what else should you feel 
when you hear all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, we should remember back to the last time Jesus played the authority card. I hope you know it. And if you don't, you will after this morning. John 10. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to go to the cross, to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Your sin did not put Jesus on the cross. Your sin essentially put you on the cross. But by his authority, he took your place. Do you see this? Jesus uses his authority for our good. So when the Great Commission begins and he appeals to his authority, it is rightful. We should do this. And it is delightful. I want to do this because you use your authority for my good. This is the first why. Why commit to the Great Commission? Because it's rightful and it's delightful. And there's one more component to this first why. Look what Jesus says next. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Not some, but all. Now, this is a little hard for us because we're right here and they were right there. But we have to try and put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. We have to put ourselves in the moment in which they heard these words. Jesus had died. Doubts were rising. Rumors were spreading. Fears were climbing. Peter went fishing. Everything felt fragile. Everything was fragile. And Jesus has the audacity to say, oh, yeah, by the way, the commission I'm about to give you is to the ends of the earth, the entire world. If you're the disciples here, you probably have a flashback to Matthew 13 when Jesus spoke the kingdom parables. Remember this one? The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. If you're a disciple and you hear Jesus right there, you say, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, you got that right. We're small. We're insignificant. If the Romans so much as sneeze, we're literally gone. We feel that, right? And look what Jesus said next. Watch this. But when... It has grown. It is larger than all the trees, all the garden. When it is larger than all the garden plants, it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in their branches. What Jesus is saying is that the mustard seed is going to grow to its fullest potential, which means the ends of the earth. And I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't say if it grows. What does he say? When? When Jesus says when in Matthew 13, he's saying it is certain. And when he says in our passage today, all authority is mine, he's saying it is certain. I'm not sending you out on a mission that is ultimately up to you to pull off. Certainly, it involves us, but it's not dependent on us. We can be confident that the audacious mission to the ends of the earth, all nations, is secure. Because he's tied his authority to it. So this is the first cookie of the Oreo. I can't believe you're going to think of an Oreo cookie when you open your Bible. The first why. 
Why should you prioritize the personal involvement of making disciples? It's because it's rightful, it's delightful, and it's going to come to pass. So now we get into the cream. What are we called to and how can we participate? Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, what is a disciple? First, a disciple is simply a student or a follower of Jesus. It's somebody who puts allegiance to him as supreme. And the question is, how are these type of people made? Well, in, in essence, the whole Bible is about making disciples, right? Uh, we don't have time to get into all of that, so I'm going to stay in the text. The text gives us two things or two categories that I think are a wonderful framework on how people are made into disciples. And the two things, if you notice, go back one, uh, is baptize them and teach them. And so first, we'll look at baptize them. Baptism is the process of leading people to an outward identification with God's people. Baptism is a sacrament that happens within the context of believers, the local church. It is an outward sign that you are a part of the people of God. And this outward identification is massively important to becoming a disciple. And it's the first thing that Jesus says. And last week, Kenneth, he talked about the importance of the community. And so I won't belabor it, but the Bible is crystal clear that the believing community has a critical role in the health of every individual. I'll give you one passage from Hebrews 3. Did you talk on this? Hebrews 3? All right, let's go. Um, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, evil, unbelieving heart. That turns away from the living God. So leave it there. We are called to guard our heart. To keep it Godward. To keep it faithful in God. And look how we're encouraged to do it. But encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today. So none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see what was going on there? Here's how I summarize this. What you must do for yourself. You must keep your heart healthy. You can't do by yourself. You need others. Encourage one another. Me, myself, and I doesn't work in this situation. What you must do for yourself, you can't do by yourself. In the first component of making disciples is an outward identification with God's people. It's connecting with the people of God. And the second one is in the phrase teaching others. Jesus says teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How many commands? Not some. But all this represents the inward transformation of God's people. John 17, 17, sanctify them or grow them in truth. Your word is truth. What Jesus is saying here, teaching them to observe all you commanded is leading people to the process where they are transformed in a real relationship with God. A true inward reality. And so, so don't, don't let me lose you here in this middle, what and how. What Jesus is saying is that when you put those together, when you say, what is a disciple? It's a follower of Christ. It's somebody who puts allegiance to Jesus as supreme. Well, how are they made? Well, Jesus gives us a very basic framework. 
baptize them, teach them. You put those together. This is what you get. Making disciples is the process of leading others to an outward identification with God's people and inward transformation from God's word. That's not everything, but it's a great start. And I love this because it's not just outward identification and no inward transformation, right? It's not just about who you connect with in public, but it's also not just about who you are in private in a way that's disconnected from the believing community. Making disciples is the convergence of outward identification. I'm a part of the people of God in inward transformation, and I'm being made more like him. That's making disciples. And here's where we're going now. Did you know And I know you do. We get to participate in this. We get to play a role in this in people's lives. I'm going to give you three ways. How can you participate? And here's the first way. The first way is you can be a recruiter. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. People don't like the word recruiter. Okay. You could be a wooer, an inviter, a bidder, a beckoner. I don't care what you use. Here's the reality. From the opening pages of the New Testament, literally, people get involved with the mission of God by recruiting others to places where they can know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. And here's why I love to... I recruit people to be recruiters. This is amazing. That's double. Um, I love to recruit recruiters because of this right here. You don't have to be able to help somebody grow in order to play a role in their growth. Just think about this. You don't have to be at the place in your Christian life where you can help somebody grow in order to play a role in their growth. Most of our lives have been radically shaped because somebody was willing to recruit us to a place where we could know, love, and obey Jesus Christ. Just take the Gospel of John. Literally, the first chapter of John is like recruiting like it's a game of tag. The Spirit of God recruits John the Baptist to Jesus. John the Baptist recruits his disciples to Jesus. You've got Philip recruits Nathaniel to Jesus. And then Andrew recruits Simon, who would become Peter, to Jesus. Think about it. The rock of the church. The the one Jesus called the rock was recruited to Christ. You will probably not be one of the greatest Christians the world has ever known. But that doesn't mean you can't play a role in God reaching them. Think about that. I don't know if that gets you excited. I want to be a recruiter. I want to get in the game by inviting people to places where they can connect with the people of God and be transformed by his word. So that's the first one. Here's the second one. You can be an evangelist. An evangelist is simply somebody who shares the good news of the gospel with another person. And I love, I love this church because you value the warm and winsome proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ person to person. Y'all, recruiting is exciting, but evangelism is exhilarating. It's exhilarating to have the knowledge and the skills to be able to communicate to somebody what it means to be a Christian. And if you're here this morning and you say, I I don't really know if I can do that. I would say, don't pass go, so to speak, without getting a plan to be equipped 
into how to communicate the gospel to another person. One of the first things after I became a Christian, there was a guy named Joe who was discipling me. And Joe, uh, one of the first things he did was he began to teach me how to share my faith. And we would meet after soccer practice. I was a college soccer player. We would meet, so I was tired, and we would be in my apartment, and we would sit on my couch, and Joe and I would role play. Joe would be the Christian, and I would be a non-Christian guy who had his hat down really low named Rich. I don't know why we picked the name Rich, but Joe and Rich would have all kinds of interactions. Sometimes I would be warm, other times I would be cold, and I would get to see how Joe would respond to both. Then I would raise questions and objections, and Joe would teach me how to respond in a warm and winsome and clear way. And you know what? On the couch, 20 years ago, those conversations between Joe and Rich, I learned to be an evangelist. And in the 20 years since then, I am humbled By the amount of times I've been able to communicate to an individual what it means to be a Christian. Have you do you get to do that? What's keeping you from doing that? When when I think of evangelism, I want to be an Epaphras. You know, Epaphras, don't you? If I had another kid, which we're not, um, Lord willing, uh, or, uh, you know, I take all that back. Uh, If I had another kid, we might name him Paffy after Epaphras. In the first chapter of Colossians, to the church of Colossae, look what Paul says. He says, this gospel is bearing fruit and increasing throughout the whole known world. In other words, the gospel's a global force. And that's, if it's ever been true, it's true today. Now watch what he says next. Just as it has been doing among you, Colossae people, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. And we know from Colossians 4.12 that Epaphras was a local boy. He is one of you. Through Epaphras, God makes the message clear. The global force is advancing through local faces. Men and women, right here, Fairfax, Virginia, you can be a part of the global work of God through communicating the good news of Jesus locally i don't know if that fires you up what keeps you from doing that i think this i think most people's greatest hindrance to getting in spiritual conversations is simply a matter of perspective i really believe it i believe that a little perspective shift might get you in the game of evangelism which is exhilarating so the bible often uses the metaphor of a seed when talking about the gospel of god or the kingdom of god both globally and at the individual level and you know what happens when we become a christian when somebody becomes a christian the seed of the gospel begins to grow into a tree and it begins to overtake our life. So here's the image I want you to try to get in your mind. Imagine a seed that's planted inside of you, and it begins to grow into a tree, and it makes its way to every nook and cranny in your life. And that's good, because that's what a relationship with God does, and the gospel does. It overtakes your entire life. That's good. Well, here's the problem. The problem is that many people think that God wants them to take the tree of the kingdom of God and all that it has done in your life and plant that in the life of another individual. And if that's your perspective, then you become a tree planter. Seriously, just imagine 
carrying a tree around all day looking for somebody's life to plant it. That'd be exhausting. It'd be burdensome. And you know what happens? And this is why this little perspective shift tends to keep people out of the game. You either become overly aggressive. I'm going to get all of this God and all of this Bible and all this Christianity and the tree of it in your life right now. Or you become, and this is what happens to most people, overly avoidant. Because you look at this tree and you look at their life and you say, it could never fit in there. And the reality is, if you're a tree planter, it couldn't. But not if you're a seed planter. See, when you have a seed planting mindset, then you're free. You're light to engage in spiritual conversations. Just wondering, where is Jesus going to allow this one to go? Some of them end really quickly. Others go pretty far. But either way, you're not overly aggressive. You're not overly avoidant. You simply pray that God would open an opportunity to plant a seed about God and Jesus and the life with him. You could be a recruiter. You can be an evangelist. And thirdly, you could be a discipler. A discipler is when you grow in your faith to the point where you now personally help another mature in theirs. And I'll just go and tell you, if recruiting is exciting, if evangelism is exhilarating, the Bible says that the greatest joy is reserved for the disciples, those who help others grow. First Thessalonians 3, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. What thanks can we give to God for all the joy we have received? On your behalf, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. So I mentioned there was a guy named Joe who discipled me in college. He was also the Epaphras who shared the gospel many times with me. And it was during Thanksgiving break my freshman year when I first repented of my sin and I trusted in Christ. And when I got back to school, I called Joe and I told him I've become a Christian. Thank you. And I hung up and I was thinking, thank you. Have a good life. See you in heaven. That's just what I was thinking. Literally 15 minutes later, I looked through the people and there was Joe. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Joe walked in and he opened up my brand new Bible and he opened it up to first John 5:13. Maddie B, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And he took out a pen and, and he started circling it. And it was like nails on a chalkboard to my new pretty Bible. And he said, you can know that you know that you know. I'm like, how many? It's probably bleeding through to revelations. Yeah, I, I didn't. I had no idea what was next. Um, but, but he said, you can know that you know that you know. And then he pulled out a card and he wrote 2COR, 2COR, 517. He said, this is your first scripture memory verse. I said, scripture what? He pulled out another card. He wrote what I thought was P.S. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Is this a secret show, you know? And uh, he said, this is your first scripture memory on why you memorize scripture. Work on these two. I'll be back in a couple of days. A couple of days later, you got him. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. What was Joe doing? Joe was leading me to the process of inward transformation by the word of God. And people today, 20 years later, they comment on my ability to memorize scripture. And when I hear that, I think about when people comment that I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. It's just how I was raised. 
It simply is how I was raised. I was raised to memorize scripture. I was raised to be a Tar Heel. I take zero credit for it. Joe was discipling me. And then he said, Matty B, we got to get you in a Bible study. We need to get you outward identification with the people of God. And so we got in a Bible study with athletes. And literally, I'll tell this one story. After the first Bible study, he said, who would like to close us in prayer? And I was like, I think I've prayed like one prayer in my whole Christian life. And it's the prayer I repented of and trust in Christ. I'm not making the second one in front of all these people. He said, pray that God's going to use this room to reach the nations. Nobody was up for that. So Joe goes, all right, I'll pray. And he started to pray. And I had to do it. I just opened my eyes. And guess what I saw? Everybody's eyes were open. What is he praying except for Joe's? Joe was praying and Joe was believing. And you know what? God has literally used that room to reach people all over the world for Christ. And it's a joy to be here today and talk to you. But you know who has the greatest joy today? Joe. He knows I'm up here. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. You can be a recruiter. You can be an evangelist. You can be a discipler. I pray you would embrace all three. So now let's finish with the top cookie. Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why should you get personally involved in the Great Commission? Because he gives the promise of his presence to all that do. And there's no greater assurance in all the world than the words from God, I will be with you. Now, notice it's not some of the time. It's what? Always. And when Jesus says, I will be with you always, I don't think he's reminding us of his omnipresence. I think Jesus is hanging out a promise. You get engaged in this mission and my manifest presence, the special presence of God for those who do what pleases him is waiting for you. Why do we make disciples? Because Jesus will be with us. Now, hold on a second. This sounds comforting. But I want to offer a word of warning. Because I think when people hear, I will be with you, they, they think that sounds like a warm, soft, fuzzy, comfortable, slap on a coffee mug phrase. But as a student of the Bible, I don't read it like that. Here's what I've learned from the Bible. God gives his greatest comforts for those who face life's greatest challenges. I'm not a big roller coaster guy. I'll ride him because my kids do. But when, I, when they ask me about a roller coaster, I have one question. What kind of safety harness does it have? And, 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 and it's not what you think. You might think, well, well, Matt wants to know the safety harness to see if he's going to die or not. No, I'm concluded I'm going to die on all of them, literally. I could be on the little mouse ride, and I'm like, into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus. It's so funny. Here's what I've learned, though. I want to know, does it have a seat belt? Does it have a lap bar? Or does it have an over-the-shoulder harness coming down from above? Because I've learned this. The more secure the harness, the wilder the ride. It's true, isn't it? You're like, he's preaching fire right now. (laughs) Friends, I'm just going to go and tell you, when you hear the words, I will be with you, it is the -the over-the-shoulder harness coming down from above. There is nothing more secure in all the world, but you need to know it's about to get wild. And you say, that sounds good, right? That's a great little Matty B illustration. It isn't in the Bible. Well, that's where I got it from. What did God tell Moses before he sent him to Pharaoh? I will be with you. 
What did he tell Joshua before he sent him into battle? I will be with you. What did he tell Gideon before he sent him to tens of thousands with 300? I will be with you. In Psalm 23, how does he comfort us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will be with you. In Isaiah 43, when we walk through the fire, I will be with you. Matthew 28, when you have to confront another person in their sin, church discipline, where two or three are gathered, I will be with you. Acts 18, when Paul was literally going to get killed if he kept preaching the gospel, I am with you. The message is clear. God gives his greatest comforts for those who face life's greatest challenges. And there's no greater comfort then I will be with you always. So why prioritize personal involvement in the Great Commission? Because Jesus will be with you in a special way. But don't for a second think you can experience this joy and not face all the trials and challenges and absolute wild ride. And I say that because people go in blindly and at the first sight of trial and tribulation on account of the word, parable of seed and the sower, they fall away. Jesus is equipping our heart. So here it is in full. What is making disciples? It's people who are elite, have allegiance to Jesus. It's those who connect to an outward identification with the people of God, an inward transformation by the word of God. And why? Because it's rightful. It's delightful. And it will come to pass. And he's promised to be with you. Before I end, and I've got one minute, I'll make it two. I want to mention one more thing. I memorized this passage as a sophomore in college in our discipleship group, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I now know that we made a great omission. We didn't memorize 16 and 17. 16 and 17 is the context for the Great Commission. And what it does is it tells us who can participate in this? Because you hear this this morning, and many of you say, well, well, certainly, he's a professional Christian. That's what he's done the last 20 years, right? Um, well, that's, first of all, if you know me, that's not me. Um, but can you be involved in this? We'll end with this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And he came and said to them, I want you to notice that post death of Jesus resurrection, there's two kinds of people here. There's the shouters and the doubters. And guess what Jesus does not do? He doesn't go over to the doubters and toss them a football and says, hey, y'all throw this around for a while. I got a word for the worshipers. No, what he says, he says to not some, but all. And what Jesus When he gives the Great Commission to the shouters and doubters, it shows that the Great Commission is the response of a healthy heart or a worshiping heart. And it's the road to one as well. And that will encourage us because some days we feel like shouters, but let's be honest. Many days I feel like a doubter. And to the shouters and those who are on fire, Jesus says, I got something for you. It's called the Great Commission. And to the doubters and those whose faith is flickering, Jesus says, I got something for you. It's called the Great Commission. It's the response of a worshiping heart, but it's also the road to one. If you're a Christian, this is for you. Let's build our lives on it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray. uh, We thank you for your word. We thank you that you literally pack our bags with 
so many reasons why we would give our lives to this commission. And Lord, I pray that you would ignite hearts in this room to say from here on out, I want to do whatever it takes to get in the game of what God is doing in the world that happens on a local level. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.